Hello everyone and welcome back to Series 4 of The Public Eye, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange in Newry. As always, I'm delighted to be your host, Sarah Travers. Throughout the series, I'm speaking to local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how these companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm delighted to be joined by Giuseppe Falloni, founder of La Dolce Vita. And anybody who lives in this Newry area will know La Dolce Vita. Giuseppe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sarah. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a little bit of background for everybody listening, if they don't know about La Dolce Vita. So La Dolce Vita opened its doors in 1997, opened by Giuseppe and Fiona Falloni, his wife. It has expanded, opening another two takeaways located in Kamla, Warren Point, along with an award-winning restaurant in the heart of Newry, which opened in 2015. They now employ 130 staff and they've recently launched... This is very exciting. They're make-your-own-pizza kits and are now being stored in Aldi stores across Ireland. What a story to date. Little potted history there uh, of how it all started. But Giuseppe, what inspired you to start it up in the first place, apart from the surname? Well, that's sort of, was it? From a young age, I I always seen myself as a, I suppose, working for myself. And at school, uh, I kind of struggled a bit with my speech out of stammer since I was very small and uh, okay, I went to grammar school, I was very fortunate that way, but I just knew from the early days that, that I wasn't going to be cut out for school or going on to further education. And from a young age, I suppose I subconsciously seen myself as working for myself someday. I wanted to be my own boss, because I had mm-hmm. that sort of authority issue, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I left school at 16 didn't have any qualifications out of GCSE and maths, I think, and uh, took on a, an apprenticeship as a baker, and uh, that was great. I was I was young and I was keen. I was just itching to work. I, I was really really keen to learn, and uh, during that apprenticeship, I was fortunate enough. I was selected uh, for a program called the Wider Horizon program, and uh, they shipped me off to France to work oh. in a, a French bakery for three months. That's amazing. And I was only 18 then, Gosh. and I came back from France and uh, had illusions of grandeur. I wanted to open my own <laughs> continental bakery. And the people in the Clan Ray group here in Newry who were overseeing my apprenticeship thought this was a great idea, and uh, they sent me on a, a start your own business course in the Wayne Industrial Estate here in Newry. And, I quickly realised that that is now this is not for me. So I went, I went back to work in the bakery and well, I continued my apprenticeship. Uh-huh. But then uh, after a while, an opportunity came along to uh, to basically work as a chef in a family-owned business here in Newry, and then uh, eventually that led to an opportunity down in Killarney, County Kerry, which had been up a year or so before just to learn how to do pizzas for this family business in Newry and eventually these people in Killarney asked me to come back and yeah. they were opening a new restaurant. It was a an American Italian diner called Big Al's Diner and basically they gave me the top position to run the show and I was very lucky Gosh. to work with a, an executive chef from the Cayman Islands actually, this guy, guy called John, American guy. 
and he basically gave me a crash course in six weeks of how to be a head chef in a kitchen, how to run a kitchen, how to manage it. So, and uh, how old were you at that point? I was just twenty-one, my twenty-first wow. birthday when I was down there. Actually, I literally only I literally only moved down and I celebrated my twenty-first birthday. So, listen, when you're young, you're you have the energy and working split shifts as a chef and it never bothered me so I am um, yeah that's amazing but do you really think you benefited from that trip to France was that was that life changing for you at such a young age it was I suppose I was, I was so lucky to uh, the sea outside of, of of Northern Ireland growing up in Northern Ireland especially here in Uri the way things were um, yeah. the guy the man I worked for in the bakery, when I come back, he was very supportive of me. And he says, Giuseppe, if you have an, op- an opportunity to go to this country, he's, he said, you go and take it. I'm sure but it was uh, quite a culture shock. Where did you go? It was a town called Vernon in Normandy, about 40 miles northwest of, of, of Paris. And uh, it was a group of us. Like there was a, It was a cross-border, cross-community initiative. It was funded by the International Fund for Ireland. And uh, we had a lot of great people. I still have friends. And how long were you there for? We were there for three months. Right. From September and had you any French? to November. I'd done French in the Abbey for five years. And I hadn't. I left school without a word of France, French. But when you're put in that situation, I was working in a, a little small home bakery with two French bakers and did in a word of English. So I wasn't long... My French fairly picked up after that, but it was it was a real life changing experience and it opened my eyes. There's a lot more outside of, of the world than Yuri, so uh, and, and the French pride themselves on their food and its provenance yeah. and their you know, they really are the kings and queens, I suppose, of that culinary experience. what did they pass down to you that you took away? It was the yeah, it was their their passion for the their bread and their croissants. It's like a a religious thing to them, they, they bake twice a day. There's the early morning bake, and then there's the lunchtime bake. And uh, the first bakery I was working in, it was more of like a, a supermarket sort of thing, and you were basically taking stuff out of the freezer and thawing them and baking them. And I, I see to the people, I says, I'm not learning anything here. This is, I'm not getting anything from this here. So they put me in this little home bakery, and I, I loved it. And the guy, the guy, I was working for, it was a family bakery, his wife worked there, the daughter worked there, the sons were fairly young. He, he says to me, there's a job here for you if you want to come back and really? we'll sort you out with somewhere to, to live. And that was November 1981 and then I met Fiona in February 1982, so that was France out the window, so <laughs> I still hold that against her. So you, <laughs> do you do not? <laughs> so you've been together for such a, a long time, really, since you were you were both teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, the, your heart was won over and back you came. That experience too, then down in Killarney, it's those key people in your life the Johns of this world, mm-hmm. the you know the, the person that, that, that gives you that 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 advice that you take on, or see something in you that perhaps is worth you sticking in there. Well, how important was John to is that, you? Uh, John was mega mega important, and I haven't seen the man since, to be honest. You know, um, if he's listening, John, if he's listening, he's over in America somewhere, I think. Yeah. Uh, but no, John sort of he simplified the whole thing. He more or less told me just that we are an overpaid babysitter. I had like 20 chefs under me and I wasn't even a qualified chef myself. He says, that doesn't matter. All you need is organisational skills. So he was very, very efficient. And he had, um, back then he was using computers and I I never touched a computer before. And he had prep sheets. He was just very, very organised. He had sheets for every recipe. There was a prep sheet. 
and there were special chefs in just to do that. And he showed me how to organise it, mm. how to organise our stock rotation. He showed me how to do our rota to a budget, so you work it out by the early rates. Oh. I, I was always fairly good at maths, I say that, so I did find that sort of stuff easy to me, and I suppose that helped a lot, especially mm. in the future with running the business. But uh, he just made it all so, so easy. If you were organised enough, I still had a... Had a good work-life balance. I was only twenty-one. We were down in Killarney, so there was a, a good social aspect as well. So yeah, and you enjoyed it. But the thing is, you you obviously had that business head and those organisational skills, which a lot of people struggle with. I know I struggle yeah. with those. Um, you know, and being organised is absolutely key. But eventually, in nineteen ninety-seven, yourself and Fiona were actually given the opportunity to run your own pizzeria. Yeah, so young. Yeah, well, we're again, we were fortunate enough, and I had actually opened that place originally for the guy at first opened it. It was when it opened. So we're back in Uri. We're back in Uri here. And uh, we've been back in Uri a year or two at that stage and been in there of a few different jobs. But it was at that point, I was actively on the lookout for my own premises. And I had a loan organised by the Uri Credit Union. I was ready to go, waiting. A few things came along and the plans fell through. But... Um, Eventually, this place came up again. It had, it had changed hands, I think, three year, three times in the space of one year. And the guy who was in it, he contacted me and says, listen, would you be interested in taking over this place? Because the only person I'd ever seen to work for it was when yourself, when you were working here. So, uh, yeah. I, What's for you won't go by you. Yeah. So, uh, my brother actually was in it before me and it was him that gave it the name La Dolce Vita so when myself and Fiona took it over it, it had the name it had the signs uh, it had a wood burning pizza oven which was which was very unique at that time right yeah uh, so that's back in what 97 97 yeah. and there was only I think two or three other wood burning pizza places in the, in the whole of the country there was one in Galway and one in Cork and I think ourselves right and so but I had had a bit of experience on wood burning ovens, even with my family in Italy. Mm-hmm. I had an auntie; she's an old lady, and she had a, a wood burning oven in her kitchen. Believe it or not, Did you? she would have cooked biscotti, <gasps> she would have cooked lasagna, and she would have cooked pizza. So oh, tell me more about all that, that sort of wow. stuff inspired me, and I was just enthusiastic about pizzas from a young age. So the Felonies, where, where where are they based then? Where are they from? How did they come he- come How to did be they here? Come to be about yeah. well, I suppose like a lot of Italians. Um, emigrated out of Italy in the in the nineteen hundreds, but the Second World War had a big impact on my father's family. He was the youngest of of thirteen children. There was three of them actually killed oh. during the war. One of his brothers was actually a soldier. He was called Giuseppe. He was killed before my father was actually born. Gosh. So my father was co- he was the youngest. He was called Giuseppe. But my father wasn't even born at the time of the Battle of Monte Cassino. Mm-hmm and his family's village was right on the on the lane called the Gustav Lane and his family were evacuated his mother was expecting she just lost her two daughters a few days beforehand oh. cut a long story short my father's uncle he called him Benny he had settled in Belfast at this stage so he returned early after the war and brought my father over to Ireland and my father's been here since really so This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries. 
from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 2200. And what was your father's trade or had he even got to that point? He wasn't too they, young. Yeah, they were in, he came here as a child. A he child. came here in 1849. He was six years of age, uh, five years of age. And his uncle Benny in Belfast had a, a fish and chip fish ice and cream. And I don't know if he worked for somebody or he had his own place, but he was then given the opportunity of a place in Newry, mm-hmm. in Hill Street in Newry here. And his grandson actually owns it to this day. It's called Cafola's. His grandson, Ricky, he runs it. So, uh, no, exactly. No, it, yeah. yeah my, wow. fa- my father grew up there. He grew up there. But then when he met my mother, at the, uh, he worked in that all his life. He, he really did start from a young age. And he really, he, he feels bad about that. He felt... He always feels he was hard done by that way, but um, when he was old enough, he met my mother, who worked in in the cafe with him, um, and they get married, and then he went off and worked with his father-in-law as a steel fixer. So he he couldn't really out. see right. he couldn't wait to see the end of the of that that sort of business. But but it passed down. Did you say it was your was it your grandmother had the the wood burning stove in Italy? It was my auntie. Your auntie, sorry. It was my, your my father's sister. So. so there you go. It kind of, it took a little while. I mean, obviously the war and unsettling and terrible tragedy mm-hmm. for, for the family too. Yeah. But, you know, it sort of came back with you and an opportunity to grow. So whenever you and Fiona um, got up and running, yes, you had the wood burning stove. But, you know, what else did you have? You were, you were really just very very young were you married then no we weren't even married at that no. stage we were we were still going out boyfriend and girlfriend okay, okay we were living together we had a little flat upstairs so um i had done a deal with the guy who had the business and then the landlord who owned the property so the landlord a guy called eugene mccullough he was very good to me and fiona he basically just wanted all those other guys out of out of the equation mm-hmm. and he wanted to deal directly with himself and fiona and he offered us good terms conditions on the rent for the whole property, so there was a flat included. And listen, when you're 21, 22, you, you, you just thought, no, no, but you went with it. And uh, we lived upstairs. We worked six days a week. I was actually doing a calculation there a few weeks ago, and uh, I worked out I was doing about 80 hours a week, but oh. you thought, no, no, it. And what way did you work? How? What was the division of labour? Yeah, well, I used to go downstairs and start to prep maybe at... at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock and uh, we'd open the doors at 5 o'clock so if Fiona would start around 4 o'clock she would clean around the counter and get everything set up put the money in the till and, and So she kind of front of house and you were Yeah she was front of house Cooking My speech really at that stage wasn't really good at all Well let's stammer. talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that because you mentioned that and you know it's something that will probably interest a lot of people um, How big a challenge was it? Did, did you always remember having a stammer? Yeah, from a, from as long as I can remember. Uh, okay, people say it, different things, set it up. But my mother passed away when I was four. I was the youngest of five children. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, maybe that's why it was. But listen, I just think it's... it's I know there. I've looked a lot in this armory and I've studied a lot over the years. And I even know from my own children, they, most children went through something that's called primary stammering, but they grew out of it. But for... 
one in every hundred or three in every hundred, I forget what the stats are, it'll stay with them and it'll, it'll just develop into something more serious where it becomes a psychological issue where basically you you have a fear of speaking and and then you fear of your speaking situation and you think about things even years in advance. For, for years I dreaded getting married oh. to do a speech at my wedding mm-hmm. um, but at that time I didn't, I didn't, hadn't been through any speech programmes but I was able to pull off my wedding speech all right, but it, it did it did hold me back a lot. And in fairness, Fiona was a crutch to me. She would answer the phone. The phone would be ringing. I'd be shouting, Fiona, the phone's ringing, you know, that sort of stuff. And um, she used to phone in all the orders. She would have done a- any speaking situation. She would have handled it for me, you know. Well, look at you now. So what's what happened? Uh, about, what, 15 years ago, um, I was from a sister actually seeing something on the Late Late Show, RTE, mm-hmm. and uh, there was people on talking about stammering this program called the Maguire program. And yeah, I looked into it. This is the early days of the internet, mind you, so there wasn't an awful lot available online. And I decided at the time, though, it wasn't right for me. But then when my first son was born, Geo, somebody in New York Sports Centre asked me, Oh, that's a lovely little boy, what's his name? And, I just couldn't say his name, just block, just complete block, the embarrassment, the red face, uh, and whatever I, I forced out of me, it turned to something like James, and she says, oh James, that's a lovely name, and I went back home to Fiona, at that stage we are expe- expecting our second child, and I says, listen, I think I'm going to have to do something, because I think it was impacting me physically as well, mm-hmm. my knee was giving me trouble, because I, I would have locked up my knee when I was speaking, and uh, so I, I decided to to go and investigate the Maguire program and just it was life changing. Now it didn't happen overnight, it took a lot of work and I really embraced the program and the special thing about the Maguire program is everyone on the program has been through the program. So basically you're passing all your knowledge to others, you're wow. coaching people. I went on myself to be a primary coach and eventually went on to be a course instructor. Gosh. And at that point I really had had four kids at that stage and I was running several businesses, so I had to take a step back from the program. So yeah, but I'm still in contact with a lot of people. Techniques are still with me, I still use them. And what techniques would, would, would you pass on? You say it didn't happen overnight, but I'm just thinking if anybody knows somebody or they're listening today and think, oh my goodness, that's me. You don't need to live like this, you can no, get help. There's help, there's support there. It's uh, it's not easy, It's it's you, you put the work in. Uh, these these people, they, in the short term, they teach you how to how to handle your speech, how to break your sentences, fewer words, slowing it down, that sort of stuff. Exaggerate, we call that exaggerating your technique. It will become more natural the more you practice it, and and then you you start looking into the psychological things. We call that the cycle of panic, the cycle of fear. Basically, you're afraid of speaking, and it. it it's like the rabbit caught in the headlights. Yeah. You kind of you you freeze and panic, and that's when the 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 airwaves, the lungs, the diaphragm stops functioning. It, it freezes. That's what the freeze, and that's where the black comes from. There's no air passing mm-hmm. over the articulators of the vocal cords. I think the, you're going to pass out. Yeah, you think you're going to pass out, and that's what they call the the stammering block. So it doesn't happen overnight as says and it took years of work on uh, listen I, I don't think I don't think as myself now as a person who stammers here I am today whereas 
10 years ago, 15 years ago, this would have been a, an absolute no-no That's for me. That's what I was me. going to say. Can you believe how far you've come yeah. that you're able to sit in front of a microphone and do that? And and how liberating that is yeah. for you and for others to just yeah. seek help. Yeah, but it's there. It's a McGuire programme and a, you can check it. I'm, I'm not here to sell anything. No, I know. We should probably <laughs> go back to your business. But everything that you've achieved, including overcoming um, the stammering, it just shows you that if you set your mind to it, you, where there's a will there's a way and you can move forward there's always somebody it's great that you had Fiona there by your side as your crutch but she must be very proud so let's go back to Dolce Vita obviously it's grown a lot and, uh, and has come a long way since uh, you you and Fiona were working 80 hours a week um, back in 1997 and I believe that it's the secret is in the sauce and at the Dolce Vita sauce is sets you apart, I'm told, from other pizzerias and Italian restaurants. What are you going to tell me about that sauce? What can you tell me? Yeah, well, it's 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 no it's no real special recipe as such. Um, it's just over the years working in different places, I always took I took something from everywhere I worked, and uh, eventually, you know, always in the back of my head, you know, someday I'm going to have my own place, and someday I'll do this that way and do this that way. And uh, that was just one of those things. And we, when we opened back at the start, we we were making our own garlic mayonnaise and our own chili sauce. And it's fair, it was fairly simple, but I believe the secret is we use fresh garlic and we still use fresh garlic. Right. Now we're, we're using big quantities of it now. I can, I can buy in pre-minced garlic, pre-peeled garlic, but we trade that and we know it doesn't work so so you're literally doing those cloves one by one we have this special technique and that's the secret where we can we can peel a large amount of fresh garlic in a short space of time and uh, yeah and that gives it we use that minced garlic as and lots of it a core ingredient yeah lots of it as a core ingredient for multiple sauces and multiple recipes that we have so uh, well, you can't beat fresh you can no, try all yeah. of the, the quick fixes yeah. but there you go and I also I'm told by people and not too far from me now and listening to me now probably as well that people travel far and wide for one particular item from the menu and that is the chicken chip kebab the CCK oh pizza chicken chip kebab pizza yeah. talk about feeding the munchies whenever right. you really yeah, need it well, the beauty about that is that the special thing with that it it is unique to us because um, I'm not saying other places don't do it, but our particular pizza, we make all the products, all the ingredients ourselves, from the pizza dough to the garlic blend. We grate our own cheese. We have a chicken on there. We call it spicy chicken, but it's just a a chicken fillet with a a blend of spices, mm. and we put chips on top, which is a bit mad to some people but then when you try it you get it and then it's covered with both our sauces the garlic and the garlic and chili sauce so uh, that's what that's what we're known for and, and how people, many different businesses do you have now then well we have we have the three takeaways mm -hmm. we have the one restaurant and then we have the prep center we moved into we had a small prep center for maybe 12 13 years but just in 2019 we moved into a bespoke newly built premises just before COVID just hit. before COVID hit and um, we were fortunate enough the plan the plan was even then was to supply our our products wholesale because it was a lot of a lot of interest over the years people asking for franchise and people asking do you sell your mm. products 
and we weren't in a position to do that and so part of moving to the new premises was to to get that right um so the franchise model didn't work for you no we didn't we haven't even tried the franchise not, model you're not going there it's still our own um so we are currently just in the early stages of selling wholesale products to another hospitality place and uh, early days yet i don't want to say anything yet but um <laughs> we we started retail products as well so yeah so that's really okay so go back to 2019 you've got your your new prep center and then disaster and the hospitality industry really affected although takeaways mm-hmm. have been the savior really of everybody <laughs> during uh, during uh, lockdown but a lot of pivoting had to happen a lot of changes talk me through what your initial thoughts were well when when covid first kicked in like nobody knew what to expect the last thing anybody thought you would have been closing their doors for business you know like everybody else I suppose at the start you thought this is it's happening over in China, it's not going to affect us here. And then slowly but surely, it kicked in um, in Italy, in northern Italy. And then before we knew it, then we had to close our doors. Um, our restaurant, St. Patrick's Day, would normally be the busiest day of the year. And you were, we were sort of relying on coming out of winter. Having moved into my new premises just in December, we were relying on getting through winter and looking forward to spring, which is normally when our business would get back to... Crank up again. Yeah, back to normality again. And, uh, well, back, it was normal times, but you know, was, you're always sort of slow business January, February, sure. you know. So normally Patrick's Day is traditionally when it kicks back in yeah. and the bright nights, bright nights is always good for us. And then uh, St. Patrick's Day, I remember going down to guys in a restaurant and saying, guys, I think it wouldn't be closed tomorrow, so because already some places had started closing, and that was on a Tuesday, I think, and then by by the Friday we had made the decision myself and Fiona to to close all the outlets because that's the way it was coming, and the government, lucky enough, announced the furlough that same day, that same evening. Thank goodness for the furlough scheme, yeah. but you know we're we're coming to the end of that furlough scheme mm-hmm. now. And what what's the situation with staff, etc.? Well, we. Back then, nobody knew what was happening, and uh, we had to close. We closed for six weeks. We were fortunate enough that we reopened as a takeaway, and we had online ordering already in place. So we were we were fortunate enough that we had a lot of things in place. We get into doing the retail kits, the kits and the sauces, and 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 now the restaurants just back open now three weeks now so we're, we're great to see basically back to 100% where we were pre-COVID so fantastic okay you just glossed over the make your own home pizza kits they're not just little kits that you know you've got a big you've got a massive order from Aldi yeah yeah so yeah. what that's incredible there's something that if there hadn't been the pandemic would you ever have got round to that do you think no definitely not the sauces maybe the retail sauces was always on the plan but definitely not the kits as COVID was starting to unfold before the lockdown, my main panic was was sourcing materials. A lot of our products come from mainland Italy. We use a special flour, it's called a zero zero pizza flour, and we use a special tomatoes for our tomato sauce, and we get mozzarella cheese in from Denmark. So right. I, I started to panic, and I was going, right, if we have to close for a few weeks, there might be a problem with supply further down the line. We had the new premises, we had the space, so I just started to bulk my basically. <laughs> was the toilet people, roll for you? Other people <laughs> were wearing toilet roll. I was stocking up in bags of flour and 
and pizza boxes. Yeah. Just just our basic ingredients, mm-hmm. like the pepperoni, knowing that, well, if we reopened, we could open in some capacity, not knowing what was going to happen, as <gasps> nobody knew. And then Fiona was showing me online, it was it would be her that would do the online stuff, and, and she would look at the marketing and the things, right, not really into that. And uh, she says, look, there's these guys over in London, and they're doing these pizza kits. That's, that's something we could very easily do. Then lockdown happened, and we were sitting at home in the fourth week, like everybody else. There was the novelty of it, and the kids were loving it, being off school. And Having then, a rest? Yeah, then week two, the reality started dawning me when um, the girl doing our account, Sean, she was working from home, and she was sending me three figures, and I was going, this isn't good. And I said, if you know what, we're going to have to do something here. And she said, what about the kits? So we we thought of different ideas and how to this distribute them do we drop them off at people's stores there was a lot of that and yeah we got, how do we do this yeah we got our online our, our online service set up for that and then i was doing the maths and i was thinking you can only do so many deliveries in a day and a friend of mine a guy called nigel O'Hare, has a supermarket out in mayo bridge he actually has three or four supermarkets the same way he sent me a little whatsapp image of a supermarket down his part of the country that were were getting pizza kits supplied from a local, a local pizza shop and uh, I says, uh-huh. funny enough, Nigel, myself and Fiona are talking. I actually made pizza dough that day at home for the kids for dinner. And uh, I threw them together a few photographs of what we're thinking of. And he says, I'll take as many as you can, oh. take as many as you can make. And our 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 landlord out in Camla, where our new premises is, they have a, a big supermarket as well. And he says to Fiona, I'm a phone Jared Hughes here and give him a heads up what we're doing. And I hadn't even finished the sentence and Jared goes, whatever it is, just we're say in. I wanted. We're in. And that was just... So just, how has it been? Has it been amazing? It kind of went nuts then. It actually <laughs> So went, much as a pizza box? What do you set it it's, for? Uh, we're selling it for 6 and 89 right. It contains two 10-inch dough balls, a tub of sauce, enough for two, and a tub of cheese, enough for two. And... People couldn't get at that time. And what do you t- do? Do you buy other things to put on top? Yeah, or your yeah. own veggies or whatever you yeah, want to put, put on. Put your own toppings. And mm-hmm. We were actually supplying the supermarkets with pepperoni because we had that much of it in stock because we had stocked <laughs> yes. up in it. So there were it was a win-win situation for everybody, even the customers and uh, our sauces as well. We at the time we hadn't even the facility or the capability to bottle the sauce. It was just in tubs, and that's when the penny dropped. Like these sauces will work retail so and we, shelf life what are they did you have to work on that we, we actually on i had a new guy started work for me on the 17th of february 2019 and a young fella called victor he travels out from dublin every day and he was our first time employing a product development technician but poor victor when covid kicked in i said victor you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go home. We don't know what's happening. And he wasn't even tight to furlough because he hadn't even been oh, on the books long enough. Perfect. But as soon as we started doing the kits, Victor was back on board. And How do we make these last a bit longer? We had we had a lot of stuff in place and uh, we already had a regular testing thing going with a lab test company called a- ASL or ALS. And just sort of just fast-tracked everything because we had nothing really else to do. The takeaways were closed still, so um, eventually here we are now with the, the retail sauce bottles and, and the kits. That is amazing. I know what I'm having for tea. <laughs> um, if you had to eat one thing off your menu for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, I know a lot of people would probably say the chicken chip kebabs, <laughs> but me, I'm more 
uh, more traditional, more simple, and uh, I like the ham mushroom and garlic pizza. It's called the Provencal, and I would normally get that with extra pepperoni, and that would be that's my favourite. <laughs> Old fashioned. I'm sorry. No, I hear you. I think it sounds fantastic. Um, what's next for you? Do you even know, given what we've learned, that you never really know what's next, but you must have a goal or a plan? Yeah, well, as I said, going into the new prep centre, we we sort of always hoped that we would do our products wholesale because there's always a lot of interest from other, other, other businesses and other food service providers would we be able to sell this wholesale or sell that wholesale. Um, COVID, I think, just fast-tracked all that for us because it, it made us get these products on shelves and we have all the, the proper procedures in place, we have the proper facilities, and uh, we have the accreditation, now we have our EU number, and uh, we have, just before Christmas, we were accredited with a uh, an accreditation called Salsa, which means that a lot of supermarkets only bring your product on board if you have this accreditation, so, but now there's been, been interest, as I said, from, um, other businesses who want to diversify and get into more casual dining and to see pizzas as a way forward. So uh-huh. we're we've just recently started supplying other outdatched third party and it seems to be seems to be going very well. So well I hope that that takes off for you. It sounds like you're definitely on to something with those home kits as well. Um it's been fascinating talking to you um personally and professionally just to hear of your journey to date and I suppose The purpose of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and those ambitious entrepreneurs out there to grow their business. I'm sure they've learned so much in hearing about the success of La Dolce Vida, but what's that key bit of advice that you would give to anyone who has an an idea, doesn't know whether they should run with it, or they're unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking or not? Uh, That's a tricky one. I suppose... Just don't let anything hold you back. You know, I never let my speech hold me back. And I, I gave a good talk a few years ago to college students ab- about that. But listen, always live within your means. Don't overspend. Don't get excited. Mm-hmm. With If you, you do open, you're making a few quid. Me and Fiona's motto was always reinvest it back in the business. Keep, right. our, keep your feet in the ground and work hard. Be nice to your staff. Oh, that's absolutely important to you too, yeah, that leadership. Very, very important, yeah. Yeah. Listen, Giuseppe, it's been a delight talking to you today and uh, thank you for joining me on the Public Eye podcast. Thank you, sir, and thanks for the opportunity. And everyone else at home, we'll see you next time. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.